Welcome back, folks. This is an extremely special episode. It marks the two-year anniversary of the Pasia loading, and I can't think of a better guest to celebrate that event with our first returning founding guest, my brother, Ty Roxon. Now, when I say my brother, Ty Roxon, that's not just a figure of speech. This guy's actually been a true brother. And it's interesting, uh, you'll hear us talk about this. We've had a relationship as friends and colleagues for over 10 years now. It's kind of stunning because we've never actually met in person. It's always been online. Just goes to show how powerful this medium can actually be. And um, I'm not going to give away too much. You should just listen to uh, the, the history of our relationship, the way it's been through the course of this conversation. But I just want to say, uh, this is a guy you really want to follow. And this day and age this is someone you really want to follow so please make sure you go and take a look at his links take a look at the work he's doing because um, there is no one else i'd be recommending to my audiences with so much confidence as i would tyrox this podcast is brought to you by the holistic musician academy and tlright.com one of the biggest ways you can make us sustain this is go to a podcast platform of your choice ideally apple podcasts Go review us, follow us. It helps to spread the word of this podcast and take it out there and spread the message, which is all what this is about. Share us on your Instagram stories, tag us. It goes a long way to making this happen. Believe me, it's, it's kind of the only thing that makes this happen in a way, at least on a long-term basis anyway. All right, without much further ado, Tyra Roxon. Hello, fellow beings. Welcome loading a safe space to attempt honest raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire and we are rolling welcome tayo man hey it's a pleasure it's it's i love being on the other side of this <laughs> yeah i can imagine i can imagine for a guy who started off at podcasting at the time it wasn't even the huge thing it is today <laughs> what an exciting time it must be for someone like you to see the fruit of your efforts no it, it, no it's humbling i uh i definitely believed in it a long time ago indeed, and indeed yeah <laughs> uh, just to clarify for my listeners what we're talking about ty already has a, a way over at this point way over 500 i'm guessing close to a thousand episodes out now on this oh podcast. yeah i wish i wish i'm in the 600s now okay. but um I started back in 2014, August 2014. Exactly. And I happen to have had the honor to have been one of your initial guests at a time. I wasn't even sure what a podcast is. <laughs> and um, you were one of the founding guests on mine, which is nowhere close to the quantity of content you've put out. Uh, this will be my 50th, I think. Um, nice. Cheers. Uh, and uh, you know what's interesting? My mum, <laughs> every now and then she'll be curious about the guests who come onto this podcast. She's not sure exactly what it is either, but she's like, okay, so who, who are you interviewing today? And it's funny she uses the word interview because I prefer thinking of these as conversations rather than interviews, really. Fair enough. While describing you, I realized that, wow, you know, you know, I ended up saying, this is actually a really old friend of mine. This is someone I've known for 10 years, over 10 years. <laughs> Can you and imagine? I know, right? And someone who's actually, by the way, I realize, uh, played a very, very major role um, in the trajectory of the things. Um, um, and I, I feel like I owe it to, to let you know about this. You were the guy who uh, really kind of uh, helped me unpack the entire TCK 
um, wow. journey in a way. Um, uh, you're the first uh, person to have you know had me speak about it on the record. Um, you're the first. You you're my go-to guy when I want to understand racial bias. You're literally the person I orient myself uh, according to, because you're, you're the man in which you teach and explain um, the, that specific dynamic, especially in the current side, guys. It's right on point. And um, I have friends who who keep thanking me at this point for pointing them towards your page. Oh wow! Thank you. Indeed, and. Um, uh, apart from that, it, um, it's yeah. Um, this is actually the fourth podcast we're recording. You're the first guest to make a reappearance on my podcast, by the way, which I think is extremely, uh, extremely appropriate. Excuse me, I couldn't have thought of a better candidate. And uh, so, a long story cut short. Uh, I'm honoured and uh, very excited to have you on again tonight. Well, tonight for me. Well, I mean, plus just mine. That's the beauty of time difference, right? So you know, you're always in different parts of the world. But I, I, I think I, I came across you in one of the TCK groups that were that was populating at the time, and I thought I, I got to have him on. And yeah, it's been a pleasure to see how your career is continuing to grow. Likewise, man. I'm a fan at this point, and uh, it was very interesting to uh, see how. Uh, our paths kept uh, crossing um, over the over the web uh, every now and then. I, I I noticed you were on Jen's podcast recently as well. Yeah, and Jen Mohindra, yes. yeah. who also yeah. Um, yeah, is a major contributor in the whole TCK uh, yeah. universe, and um, that was a nice feeling too. Just you know, a reminder of how kindred spirits kind of figure out a way to find each other. 100%. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. I think when you when you talk about the whole TSK concept and identity and figuring out who you are in multiple parts of the world, it's there's a benefit of understanding, you know, your mental health, your your way of belonging and and I feel like the world today is becoming more, you know, nuanced and anyone that can find solace in learning how to tell the stories, mm-hmm. you know, it, world that tries to define who you are in multiple times uh, i think there's a lot of benefit in that indeed um i'd go as far as to say not uh, investing a little bit of time in understanding those nuances is uh, probably not even an option anymore yeah yeah it's, it seems like it's black and white you know binary options mm-hmm. very much so I've been um, I'm listening to a lot of your podcast episodes, by the way, and that's another thing I've uh, been in uh, some deep admiration of. You know, you know, it's uh, it's not just the quantity, but the quality you've uh, managed to retain over the years. Every guest, uh, and I, I see the growth uh, in um, not just um, um, not just the the ever-expanding list of followers you have on social media, but also the topics you address, the spaces you go to. You know, I, I hear a difference uh, in Tyroxin from 10 years ago and Tyroxin today, and that's very inspiring. Yeah, thank you. I, I think for me, I, you know, I was in the process of finding my voice, and one of the things I've become even more unapologetic about is, you know, just injustice. I, I just, I've always hated it. You know, even growing up initially under dictatorships, but I find that if you have a platform, it—it at least to me, I feel like it's your responsibility to use as much of your platform as you can to to highlight what needs to be highlighted. And so I've just become, you know, I guess <laughs> more into that 
aspect of things. And how's that journey been? I mean, it's it's not come without its challenges. You know, you, you exactly. definitely, I, <laughs> I, you know, you, you know, with the line of work, I mean, diversity, anti-racism, inclusion, equity, there's a lot of hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you definitely deal with fear from, from family and parents. My parents are, you know, they're, they're the, the typical Nigerian parents in the sense that they, they want to make sure that they're, uh, you know, that you keep everything inside <laughs> and you don't mm-hmm. tell the world any of those things. But at the same time, I, I found it rewarding because, you know, of the messages you get from people who find a vehicle to have a voice. Uh, the thing that I will say, though, is in the, you know, within the past 10 years, I've definitely made therapy a big part of my routine. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't say that if I didn't have therapy, that I'll be well, because there have been multiple times when, you know, my panic attacks will, will flare up because mm-hmm. uh, of what's going on. And I, if I didn't have any coping mechanism, it could have been problematic. Yeah. So it's, I hear you. Yeah, I hear yeah, you. yeah. On the very, very much in the same boat. Um, um, and, and you know, uh, in, again for my listeners, I think one of the episodes I I, I happen to have the privilege of being a guest on uh, on Tyre's podcast was uh, specifically in relation to mental health. In fact, uh, yeah. my journey with it and my journey with therapy, and uh, that actually that's another topic uh, I really. Um, um, or, you know, or to be open about my admiration for and yeah. the way which you've gone about it. Um, you've been very open and very um, um, empowering in the manner in which you've talked about your journey with uh, the same. And um, hats off, man. No, thank you. Thank you. I, I used to keep it in. And, you know, for me, someone like me, I, I, it's, it's funny, I always tell my, my parents, I... I thought initially I had to be like my dad, you know, more stoic, mm-hmm. you know, just keep to give it yourself. But I, I was actually more like my mom. My mom and I would tell you they were so similar. And my mom is very emotional and I'm very emotional. Mm-hmm. But when I was growing up, you know, the idea of being emotional was like, what, what are you doing? That's like, that's not manly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so I always, you know, I, I played all the sports. I wanted to be an athlete growing up and but I was also this emotional artist, <laughs> yeah. a vocal artist. And those two worlds didn't seem to make sense to people. And I used to repress a lot of my emotions. And one of the things that the podcast helped me to do was to vocalize a lot of thoughts I, I'd, you know, I had written down or just kept hidden. And so when I kept getting triggered, I just thought, I got to figure out how to talk about this or share it because... I feel like I'm not the only one going through this, but if I don't do it, uh, you know, I would be a hypocrite because I'm bringing on guests who are being vulnerable. I'm not being vulnerable myself. So, you know, that was also part of the catalyst of that. Mm, yeah, that yeah. very much makes sense. I, I mean, I talk about, I talk openly about the fact as well that, you know, deciding to uh, curate a podcast of my own, it was very much a, a result of therapy as well in a way. Um, you know, it started off, um, funny story, but when I noticed that while listening back to the recording sessions I'd done with my therapist, I have to, uh, that has an incredibly healing, not just healing, but educational experience. It, it was just yeah. worth, you're right. Um, and kind of, kind of, kind of hinted at, you know, the potential of the same. And at some point, uh, I found myself, uh, wondering why why don't I do more of this? I mean, this is clearly a very very powerful tool, and uh, I mean, not to make my guest um, 
just a tool for therapy that's just one angle but uh, now that you mention it point being uh, i realized that there is a very direct relation between the two as well and these podcasts uh, go uh, a long way in uh, well uh, benefiting my mental health in the long run i i wouldn't want to say i'm dependent on them per se but they're a very powerful tool and you know um what's the word i'm looking for um in supporting me on this journey 100% because with podcasting or conversations in general when you have conversations about real issues that wants to go that one you know goes through whether it's triggers or things or that are aspirational and inspirational mm. I find at least one of the the things that podcasts help you do is they allow you to unpack. And sometimes with guests, you can find a mirror of yourself. Someone can say, can give you language to a feeling that you've, you know, you've been having for a long time, but didn't quite know what to, you know, to do in terms of expression. And then once you come across that, it's like, whoa, that's great. And it's the same sort of thing with a therapist. A therapist will listen to you and then they'll say, oh, I feel like that's, you know, anxiety or that's this and you're like ah i feel comfortable now that i know what this is and then you i can go down the rabbit hole of this because i can i can investigate it and see others who have dealt with it and also find my own coping skill with that and that's what i find with interviews as well if you're if you really craft them the right way um hard relate totally with you on there do you remember um, how you felt towards the beginning of your uh, podcast journey uh what was it like, and how do you compare it to what it's like today? Uh, I wasn't. I was not comfortable. I hated my voice. I, I really did. I had a very uh, inferiority complex because I, I always thought that I had a, a soft, whiny voice. Really? Huh. <laughs> I know. I know. People always laugh at me when they said, oh, I, I, "Your voice sounds great," but this is one of the things that happens. It's like body dysmorphia. But I mm-hmm. one of the that I was proud of, at least for myself, was I still put out the episodes. But I remember listening to those episodes and I was like, ugh, ugh. But then I was like, no, I committed to it. And I've, I've put out all these uh, interviews and I, I set out an intention. But I, I could also see that I, I was, you know, figuring it out. The first time I was doing my podcast, it was solely based on TCKs, Third Culture Kids. Indeed. And then, yeah, one of the things that I've allowed myself to do is to grow uh, throughout that. And so I, I have third culture kids on but i talk a lot to change makers i talk i bring on a lot of business experts and the whole idea of nomads now to me is more someone who is willing to travel with their mind mm. right yeah you know that was that was that was not my first intention mm-hmm. <laughs> but now i i i think with life and i hope anyone else who is listening to this whenever you start something don't allow yourself to evolve past that. And so now I, f- I find comfort in my voice. I find comfort in even the spontaneity of uh, interviews because I, I found that my style is more conversational. And so, you know, some podcasts that they like having a set uh, list of questions. And for me, I just need to know a few things about you. I can do research and I, I find that I'm pretty good at, you know, making a conversation out of that. And so I, I've, Navigating gravitate towards that type of format in terms of my interviews. Very close to my heart. That's pretty much my modus operandi as well. But then I've also observed the best. I'm, I'm hinting at you now. 
Oh, stop it! <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm genuinely serious here, by the way. I'm, you literally, uh, you, uh, one of, you're genuinely one of the most uh, biggest influences in my podcasting approach. I'm not kidding. It's, it's, uh, you know, wow. uh, um, uh, amidst other reasons, because you're literally the first person I had a, a, a did a podcast with as a guest. So you know, you, you're literally the person who even pretty much kind of, um, you know. Um, familiarized me with what a podcast even is. I mean, I'd done like radio interviews and stuff like that earlier on, but that's a very different vibe, uh, which is why I also kind of insist on uh, trying and explaining to a lot of my uh, guests or peers or colleagues uh, about the whole idea that, one, these are not interviews per se. Sure, that would be the... um, the term that's often used, but they're, they're conversations. Um, and secondly, I'm, I'm not a journalist and I don't, don't really have any intentions uh, of the same. That being said, I know that's a somewhat controversial point of view because, you know, at the end of the day, it kind of in qualifies as an interview by someone who ends up being a journalist by default. But uh, right. uh, I'd like to think podcasting is a bit of a different art um, um, generally speaking, what would you say to that? Well, I think that's the beauty of podcasting. You know, you, you certainly have the media gravitating towards interviews, right? Uh, using it as part of their platform. I know Wall Street Journal, all these established media platforms are now having mm-hmm. their journalists create those type of things. Then you have the narrative types of, of podcasts. You have the one, the single ones. I, I think the to your point, podcasts can be more than just interviews. It can be more than just journalists, right? You don't have to go to school to launch a podcast. Mm-hmm. You don't have to necessarily have any qualification, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you have to have an audience. Right. And so um, I think that's that's the difference. And I think with, with podcasts, you're allowed to mess up more. You're allowed to be more creative. Mm-hmm. And your audience can, you know, they can grow with you. They can figure out the quirks. Bit, but if you are in the traditional settings, one of the things you have to be mindful of is, well, this is before commercial. This is the timing. We only have you for this, uh, you know, for two minutes before this comes exactly. out. So, yeah, so maybe that plays a little bit into the freedom of that. And so it, I, the, to that, I, I would say, yeah, there's a difference. That. It's almost like with, with streaming you know, when you think about streaming platforms versus traditional cable TV or any of these things, you know, sometimes, you know, before Netflix decides to add ads, because I, I heard that that they're exploring that, mm-hmm. the differentiator was you can just go on here anytime, start, pause, binge, all that kind of stuff. Right. And then the, the difference with the other TV, like, well, you have to wait the next week and then you have to deal with like 10 commercials and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so th- there's a difference um, and then there's similarities, but... There's, I think there's more freedom of podcasts. In, yeah. Indeed. Well, yeah, pretty much. I, I tend to compare it um, primarily due to my background in music. I tend to kind of oh. subconsciously compare it to independent artists and signed artists. Because <laughs> uh, oh. once you're signed, but once yeah. you're signed, there's a whole bunch of protocol you have to either to, right? That's set by the labels or all the managers or the A&R team you're working with. Whereas when you're independent, you can just basically put out your content and music is at the end of the day also content. I mean, at least uh, from a digital point of view, in any manner you you want. Now, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. There's lots of independent music out there, which is, oh, well, um, not as thoroughly researched and 
performed, let's just say. Uh, but then again, there are also a lot of uh, mammoth musicians, you know, just utilizing that freedom to put out their work sans any compromise whatsoever. <laughs> the minute these people go on to get signed though and start getting noticed, uh, a lot of things change. And uh, I've been on both sides. I've been signed as well. Um, at an uh, other part of my career. And uh, it, it is an entirely different system. You can't really just do everything on your own terms, which is fair enough. But um, the rawness of it does take a hit. Ah, no, I, I can see that. I can see that. And even now, I'm starting to notice a lot of, if you're on TikTok, any social media platform, you have all these musicians who are building an audience, and then the big question for them is, will I go in the, will I stay independent or will I go with a, uh, a label? And Indeed. I see a lot of arguments, yeah, for, for those. Um, I feel like I'm talking way too much about myself. I feel like, I mean, I know, <laughs> for, a, I, know, I know for a fact that we could literally talk for hours, but I also know for a fact that you're a very busy man and I do want to respect your time. And I do have very specific topics I would want to pick your very expert brain on. Okay. So with your permission, I'm going to dive in one of my first. Okay, let's do it. All right, man. Well, the TCK thing, right? Um I'd be extremely honored if you would do us the honor to be the first person to really unpack this entire syndrome, no, I almost said syndrome, my apologies, uh, this entire <laughs> phenomena. Uh, wow, wow that, that must have been a Freudian slip of sorts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a syndrome, folks. Uh, but you are an official expert on third culture kids. You've done tons of research. You're um, a full-blown TCK yourself. Yes. For our audiences, we have no clue what that acronym stands for, what Third Culture Kid stands for. Would you give us a primer? Yeah. So a Third Culture Kid or a TCK, you know, for acronym. And sometimes people will say TCI individual because, you know, maybe they didn't want to take the, the adolescent part out of it. But it mm -hmm. usually refers to people, you know, who were raised or grew up or spent the formative periods of their lives outside of cultures uh, out, other than their parents, mm -hmm. right? Or outside of their nationality or the, their passport country. Mm -hmm. And you find this with many people. It, it can really be, it could be with a lot of missionary kids, army kids. I was a diplomatic kid. My father was a diplomat. Or people who just found themselves being migrants, you know, pe right. people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a, a, yes. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of immigrants will have that. And many people, in my opinion, I, I, I love the definition to expand to, to many people who just even though they, they've spent a lot of time in one country, they know what it's like to be, say, if I'm using myself, Nigerian at home and then whatever, German right, <laughs> outside. Right, indeed. Yeah. And, and some of the things that are synonymous with third culture kids are, you know, this idea of code switching. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us more about code switching. That's another term I would love for you to help me unpack on the record. Yeah. Well, you know, with code switching, it's basically... I really think it's a linguistic form, and pe people say it too now. I'm glad people are saying that because it it involves understanding what it's like to be, quote unquote, this uh, to be German here, mm -hmm. be Nigerian at home to use that. And so it's the practice of alternative between two or more languages or variations in a conversation. So if I if I if if I I, I can imagine if you're speaking to your Indian friends and you're speaking to your German friends in, in the same room, you could 
switch to different accents, different tones, or even use slangs Bingo. in the same conversation and Bingo. you go back and forth. And then you're like, oh, wait, wait what happened? What happened? Yeah, I'm just speaking English. Yeah. <laughs> so in, in Nigeria, we have something called pidgin English. So it's broken English, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot, of, a lot of countries have their own version. They're Creole. They're all that type of th- stuff. And so mm-hmm. maybe you don't want someone to understand something. <laughs> you say, <laughs> you say something <laughs> right there, and then you switch back and forth. And then for many instances, depending on the power dynamics, it's often used as a means of survival. So here in the United States, Indeed. there's some. Yeah. Here in the United States, you know, people, people will say, are you using your white voice or something like that? <laughs> Where, <laughs> because if someone might not understand, you know, you, they might think your background. I always, I always hate when you, people use colorful voices, but they do say that, right? right. Where they will say, you sound ghetto or you sound too hood or you sound this. And so mm. you then learn maybe with the type of voice they want is that. And so you know how to do that. And then once they leave the office, it's a different tone. And the reason why I said survival is because it could be the difference between you getting a job opportunity or not. Right. And that, in that case, yeah, in that case, it's not whether your qualifications match. It's like, I don't know. You sound like you're, you know, you're from somewhere else that I'm not comfortable with. And so, mm-hmm. it plays, yeah, it plays a huge role in multiple things. And I do believe power dynamics play a role in, in that. And then it went into amongst your friends. It can be fun. But um, there's an element of in-group and out-group, uh, depending on the power dynamics, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, th- thank you for thank you for that very elaborate and um, accurate description. Here's something I want to um, uh, delve a little deeper into, which is which are the mental health aspects of code switch, and it's been proven to uh, result in. A form of cultural schizophrenia, which in the long term, and I happen to, I want to address this because it's I've been subject to the same. In the long term, it can be very confusing eventually down the run to kind of mm. make a choice on, okay, who am I really? You know, it's one thing to uh, use something as a coping mechanism to survive and another down the line to really make a call on, okay, what really is my authentic accent? What do I really sound like? And how do I really want to come across to people regardless of what the consequences are? What have your experiences been with this? You know what? It, this is so fascinating. I'm, and I, I need to do more research on that part, but I'll, say, I'll share my experience. So mm-hmm. wh- why I don't know the role it can play in schizophrenia or, or any um, other mental health issue, I do know what role it played in my mental health <laughs> and so mm-hmm. uh, i'll go from, from that lens yes, i remember yeah i remember when i was 10 to 15 ish where I, I i went to this american international school in burkina faso so it's you know it's in a french-speaking country in west africa yeah. and i'm from nigeria yeah mm-hmm. an english-speaking country in west africa right i had a very very strong nigerian accent so i go into this you know, American international school. So I'm the skinny Nigerian kid with a thick Nigerian accent in a French speaking country. Mm. And, you know, and so it's, they speak French, but in the school I'm in, everyone sounds different. And, you know, when I talk, it's like this guy, you don't like the sound of your voice. (laughs) You know, you're 10, 11. And then, and then all I would do, all I would do would be, I would watch movies and everything. And I would just be, I'll be trying to repeat everything they're saying so I could sound like that. And it, you know, it took me a long time. And then I'll start reading out loud and I'll watch my R's and my T's. This is just what I, I internalized as a 10 year old. Oh, and yeah. so I eventually got good at that. And then, uh, you know, when I came back to Nigeria, it became people thought I was American. And so they would now say, 
well, are you really Nigerian? I don't know if you're really Nigerian because you sound this way. Mm. And I, in both instances, I'm still this person that knows all these cultures, but the sound of my, uh, my voice is basically my passport into the en- entry and identity. And so I got really frustrated when I graduated, uh, uh, you know, when I was 17, because it played a role into a big part of my depression mm-hmm. in through middle school and a lot of my anxiety. I started getting panic attacks in, uh, when I was uh, 15, 16, I think. Yeah. 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 And, and looking back, I can see the seeds of that. And so a lot of it was I didn't know who I needed to be, and I felt like I had to overcompensate when my identity was challenged and so mm. much. And, and so when I eventually came to the United States, I remember signing this virtual contract myself, and I said, the thing about me and my experience is that I am all of them, and I don't need to silo each of them. And so once I embrace that I'm all and everything at once, you know, I can, you know, I can meet someone I can understand. I can, you know, understand all the Nigerian nuances and, uh, you know, and with, uh, you know, the larger part, West, West African nuances. I can also understand some of American culture because of my background. It freed me <clears throat> and it, it let me uh, become more of myself. If, if I will, I used to hide a lot of myself because I felt like I was, you know, I don't know, not Nigerian enough for some people or not this enough for some people. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I played my mental. I, I was very depressed for a long time. <laughs> I can intimately relate. I think the, the point I'm the most curious uh, about at this point in my life is that fine line between conformity and um, just giving in. You know, I mean, conformity can be all right to a certain degree. I say that with caution. Um, but when you're doing it at, you know, at, at the cost of your own well-being, that's where that starts becoming risky. With your permission, I'd like to share some of my experiences, which are very similar please, to yours. Please, please, please. Uh, yes. and, and I remember us talking about it vaguely on that podcast we did 10 years back. I was like all out bullied for my accent when my parents returned to India. And there's a whole colonial history behind it, especially the city my parents decided to move back to in our ancestral country. It was uh, it was the peak of, you know, colonial... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Well, that's where all the shit went down, man. <laughs> Calcutta, yeah. you know, Calcutta. Yeah, Calcutta was uh, was uh, the capital of the British India, and uh, so the, the 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 residue that remains till today in in um, in the city is very very complex. And I'm, at this point, I don't even know if it's unpackable in the first place but point being if you're in if you're branded with an indian name speaking with a british accent in calcutta you're fucked really pretty much yeah so you're you're definitely ostracized uh, from regular um uh you know calcuttans for uh, for lack of a better term and you're you know it, it's it's a it's an immediate label you get and there is no chance you get to integrate until you've completely bent over backwards and start speaking acting and talking exactly like them and that was my survival mechanism i literally so people talk and this is all thing amongst amongst homegrown south asians about speaking with fake accents which doesn't help people actually do try to fake accents in order to sound posha that actually is a fact so um ironically the first accent i learned to fake was an indian one 
That's so interesting. Yeah, just so I'd stop getting bullied. And it took me, it, it resulted in a speech defect down the line. I literally had, you know, I would stammer. Well, not stammer, stammer, but I had like legit difficulties um, just speaking clearly. Um, and then uh, when I moved back to Europe, the, you know, that, that helped a lot in kind of finding a little more clarity in the manner in which my diction actually sounds more authentic and at this point I, i'm guessing my accent's like a bit of a hybrid like neutralish same yeah exactly yeah, uh, yeah exactly huh? um huh? where it's probably apparent that my base accent is more british than it is american well definitely i definitely I, I can't for the life of me speak with an american accent even if i tried but point being like you i really had to sign a contract with myself at some point saying okay i'm not going to start speaking with a Bengali or an Indian accent just so, just because I'm scared of being bullied. And it was not a, not an easy decision. Huh. Yeah. That's so fascinating. I'm glad you shared that story. That was so. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's, it's funny now, especially now that I don't worry about those things. People, some people will say, oh, I can now hear your Nigerian accent when I, when I say it because of certain words I promote. And I'm like, great. I'm glad you can hear it. Hmm. Um, because before, you know, I, 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 you know, I can always put on whatever between the accents and all that. But now sometimes when I just relax, I just, I find that whatever bases uh, my accents were based on are, are, are right there. But to your point earlier, yeah, one of the things that I do want always to caution people to is, and things that I fight against, and the reason I became even more vocal about certain social issues is I find, you know, we both have the same colonial uh, country, the UK is. Indeed. There, there's a lot of assimilation mm-hmm. that people promote. And I, I'm, I'm not a fan of assimilation because the, it, I feel like with assimilation, it strips the individuality of people's cultures, right. you know, and I experienced almost a reverse of you. Like you said, you're bullied for not having an Indian accent. I was bullied for having a Nigerian accent. Mm. And so, and I remember like, oh, they think I'm lower class. <laughs> right. And I'm thinking, and then when you go and when you study and you look at, different cultures, it's what is considered professional, for example, goes against the natural texture of, of, of hair or the types of clothing that represent your culture. Mm. And, it, and there's a quote unquote West and this, and I'm always thinking, wow, this, all these standards and norms we're creating seem to be so limited and it's not allowing a lot of people to fully express themselves. And so, you know, it, it was, it was a big reason for me diving into more diverse equity and inclusion aspects because I, I, as I was studying all these TCKs, I started to see, you know, sometimes TCKs will ask themselves whether they have permission to be their passport country self in the country that they're posted into. Bingo, bingo. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. You, you, but then I thought I, I went through that, but I pushed past it and, you know, when I, got out of my teens though it wasn't when i was in my teens so i went through a lot of that growing up yeah um here's an idiotic question what 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 were how did you figure out what your natural diction eventually was oh gosh i, I don't even know if i still know what my natural <laughs> because because when i when i'm when i'm really passionate about something and i'm yelling and i'm saying like whoa what did well, what is that, Tyle? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. It came from somewhere. Uh, but w- the thing that I stopped doing was uh, overthinking. It used to, there, there used to be a time in my life where before I walked into a room, 
I would be saying words out loud so that I could, you know, it's like vocal practice so I could get myself into a particular zone and I would be enunciating. And I, and I even went through a period where I was stammering a lot. Ah, see, another thing we have common. Yeah, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. you were saying you were, yeah. so I started doing that. And so I just stopped worrying and getting inside of my head. And, and now, you know, if I pronounce a word in a Nigerian accent or a word in an American accent or I have the mix, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is, this is who I am. I'm not, I'm not even trying to sound anyway anymore. And, um, you know, I, I think because I spent so much time practicing uh, a lot of uh, Americanish accents, a lot of that residue is, is, is with me. Uh, but And to be fair, you've been a New Yorker for a while now. Over the yeah, I've been a New Yorker yeah. for a while. Yeah. But you know what's so funny? When people, when people tell me, people tell me when they see me talk to my parents or, or Nigerian friends, they say, you sound different. And I'm not even aware of it. So they're like, oh, what, you, you, what were you doing there? I was like, I was speaking English. That didn't sound like English. I was like, <laughs> I was like what do you want me to say? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, totally here. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I've noticed I'm currently in a, a place called Goa in India, which is very cosmopolitan and has a history of being cosmopolitan for most of its time. And uh, a lot of my friends, uh, well, non-South Asian friends, uh, and there is a large demographic here as well. It's always been very global. They, uh, you'll be surprised to know, they do the same. I noticed the other day, you know, they'll speak to an Indian waiter in an uh, Indianized accent. And it's not, you know, just so, and uh, and I know, and I know this is kind of edgy territory, but it's really because, honestly, um, you know, it's really the only way to get understood. You know, if I spoke my very, if I spoke in the accent I usually do and I'm like really on my own, like mad at someone or something. That's when I sound the most British, by the way. For oh, gotcha. Comically enough. If I spoke yeah. that way to, like, um, some, uh, for lack of a better term, a local, they wouldn't understand me. It's as simple as that. So I, I, I have to kind of speak in a manner, because you know, in a way, at the end of the day, I am at some level in a foreign environment and I do have to adapt and communicate in a manner that's understandable for the people around me, right? That is kind of See? human nature too. That's code switching. Yeah. What I'm at this point really uh, trying to investigate is at which point does it stop being healthy? Oh, uh, well, you know, I think it, you said it, you said this whole spot on earlier. I think it's when you stop being yourself. Yeah. Um, exactly. And yeah. And you would know this within yourself when you, if you find yourself, Oh, I, I, if I don't sound like this, I'm not going to impress this person mm. or I'm going to lose an audience. And then, oh my God, right. then you got to start asking. Yeah. You got to start asking yourself, like, what are you doing it for? And so for me, I'm, you know, my mission statement, use a difference to make a difference. It, it, I loved when I came up with that because it finally, I was like, I'm just really all about differences. And so if you can't accept my differences uh, or if I can't accept other people's differences, it's a clue for me that I need to work on something. And, and so for me, it's really when you feel like you, you have to lose an aspect of yourself or, you know, you're, you're more afraid of what the repercussions of what other people say is. And I want to be careful here. I know you and I are being careful about this. I understand how it can be for survival. And so, you know, bullying is real. I went through bullying is real indeed. Yeah. Yeah. You said it. Emotional bullying. I'm talking about when you are able to make decisions for yourself. Right. Yeah. And I, and, and then you find yourself still going to that. That's when I find it's dangerous. I guess. So So to summarize, I guess the hashtags here are uh, fear and pretension. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And always fight against assimilation. You know, if anyone tells you that your natural hair texture, for example, is unprofessional, I fight against that. I grew up in an environment where that was repeatedly told to me. You know, as a black man, they say, you you don't grow your hair, you know, your curls need to be straighter, all these things, your texture is too, you know, rough, what you know, they used to call it kinky, and all, all these things. And then I, and I internalized that myself. I even it was even practiced in some parts of of Nigeria where you know I went to boarding school. You know they'll tell you the same sort of thing. And then I got 2017. I started growing my hair. I was like, what? Why did I even? What happened? <laughs> who, who told me not to grow my hair out in the first place? And then I you, you, I just started listening. It's all these stories from colonization. Or you, if you don't do this, you're going to lose a job opportunity. Damn. I, and then I said to myself then I don't want to work in the place that doesn't accept my hair for my hair. Oh, yeah. But that's what I mean, which comes with its own set of risks, by the way, right? You have to be able to deal with that. But that was, you know, those moments when I decided to be more vocal about certain things because I'm, I'm like, so I can't grow part of myself or my body because it's not accepted. And I just chose not to accept it. Very well summarized. Very well summarized. I'm sorry you had to go, that, go through that, by the way. That, that sounds pretty crappy. Oh uh, yeah, no, it's it's yeah. been it's been annoying, but you know what? Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're on our way to unlearning that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Aim yeah. to that, brother. Um, so we went pretty deep into the code switching aspect of being a third culture kid. So rewinding a little um, to summarize, third culture kids again for my listeners, um, folks who grew up during the formative years in the culture, other than that of the earlier generation. Now, here's something I want to get into with you, um, because a lot of time TCKs get um, uh, mistake, well, mixed up with immigrants. And yes, it's true, a TCK can be an immigrant, will usually will be one, but an immigrant isn't necessarily always a TCK. Yeah. That's that's true. Needless to say, I mean, all everyone's welcome here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's not we're not dissing immigrants or something. And I'm an immigrant, exactly. So am I. <laughs> yeah. But it's important, I think, to also distinguish um, the, the differences and the challenges both face. Because uh, I've always felt uncomfortable calling myself just a regular immigrant because, in a lot of ways, um, you know, I didn't have to deal with a lot of challenges. Um, an immigrant who it migrates to Europe in their adult life for the first time. Um, I've lost my thread here. I didn't have to put up with those because I did grow up with European culture around me and it was part of my upbringing as well. And that doesn't take away some of the challenges I did have to face as an immigrant as well. But it's not the same as when someone who's grown up or has been born in the specific environment all their life all of a sudden moves to a completely foreign environment as an adult. That is a very different experience than growing up with hybrid environments all around you and changing backdrops. Yeah, yeah. The reason I, <laughs> and I don't know, I'm oh, down. I feel like I, I'm, uh, I'm doing most of the talking here. Uh, no, you do not. No, no, this is good though. I, I, I like what you're bringing up here. Um, so what, what I'd really love to pick your brain on is... Um, how do you think these differences eventually pan out? What are the primary differences between actually spending your formative years in multiple uh, environments that are different to your ancestry and moving to a foreign country as an adult, for example? Right. You, well, with the, the, 
some of the things I've noticed, because there's a lot of disagreements amongst immigrants and TCKs, because some a lot of immigrants are TCKs, exactly. and a lot of times they feel like that uh, that you know they're not being included in the conversation. Exactly. Yeah, the difference I've noticed is that with immigrants, it's usually one country that they move in, and it's it's more permanent nature. And with with a lot of third culture kids, it's a transient nature. Every two, three, four years, every you know back and forth, or even just the back and forth nature. Of that, and so you're you keep a, going through different parts of a, of a, you know, different cultures and different things where you you go there. And honestly, the the, the older I've gotten, some of the things that I, I I've started to understand. If you look at the Venn diagram of that, is you still need to understand your parents' cultures as well as your culture. Exactly. Even if you grow up in a family that tells you, you know, like speak English or speak Spanish or speak French. You know, people will look at you <laughs> mm-hmm. and they will tell you, they'll like, whoa, you, that's your name? You don't speak this? Or why don't you understand this? Or that if something comes on on TV and it's, it's reflective of your parents' culture or your background or your heritage, you know, you get that look yeah. and it'll, it'll still be used against you. And so one of the, uh, but the big difference is usually in the amount of countries, mm-hmm. uh, then also just really understanding it, the, the the politics of it, right? Immigrants have different set of rules. You have some people that are there because they're refugees, mm-hmm. right? So they'll have a very different experience oh, yeah. than someone who yeah who came from, you know, so I just decided I decided to leave. Yeah, I'm going to this country. Yeah. Right. There's but with refugees, they're the you know opportunities, the parents have to start over. You know, it's not the same neighborhoods usually. Um, they might be coming from different backgrounds and then there might be some stereotypes based on that. Now, if you come from a, another country that is, has a favorable relationship with the country and moving in, you know, the, the novelty might be, oh, you have a, you have a cute accent, but your accent might not be the type of accent that people make fun of. They'll just be like, oh, I wish I could have your type of accent. Indeed. Right. I've seen that with a lot, maybe some British people coming to the, uh, America or Americans going to, to the UK. And so I always reflect on the type of immigrant you are because it really makes a difference mm-hmm. um, in with the passports <laughs> and the passport privilege and then the visas you can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the TCK side, it, it's really about this idea of finding home, right? Yeah. What is home sometimes? Yeah. Sometimes people don't feel at home in places they technically should feel at home. Yep. And then... Yep. Sometimes where they want to feel at home, people don't accept them <laughs> as home. Uh, and, and it, or in uh, worst case scenario, both. Yeah, or both, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then there might be this delayed, for some people, for some these cases, delayed uh, uh, growth period where, you know, you've, you have a childlike experience in each of these areas because you're constantly just learning new things. Mm-hmm. And then maybe when you're in your 20s, 30s, you start wondering like, well, I don't know, like, what am I supposed to be at this moment? <laughs> Who am I? And, and it's a delayed uh, sense of awareness. And so um, I've noticed that happening as well when, you know, you keep having your home shifted. Do you think your uh, your relationship with travel has been different uh, as a result of being a TCK too? Because there is this whole uh, um, restlessness that's attributed to that upbringing as well. Yeah. You know, there, there are theories about how TCK struggle to settle and uh, I, I definitely am grappling to find, uh, to to settle at this point. I'm not sure if um, it's just yeah. the, the TCK thing, but how's that part of the equation been for you? 
Because you seem pretty, I mean, you've been a New Yorker, yeah. So, yeah, no, I was in New York for a long time now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I found the two answers where you have one on the other extreme where they can't stay in one place, mm -hmm. right? They have to go after a certain amount of time and it's a clock. And, and for me, my first intentional move was New York City because it actually reminds me of my hometown, Lagos in Nigeria, which is beautiful, a transient city which is where you can hear different languages and you hear a lot of people. And so for me, I needed to move to an environment where I felt like, even though I wasn't traveling as much, I, I felt like I could taste the diversity and see it. Right. And yes, you see, but, but for other people, they won't be able to do that, right? Some other people, it's, it's different, right? That's one of the reasons why it's not a monolith. But I, I was restless in the town I was before here. I was, I, it was a small town in, in Virginia, and I felt mm. like I couldn't stay there any longer. I felt yeah. so trapped. Yeah. And so for me, I came to a basketball game well, one time, one of my mentors here in New York City, and I felt alive, really alive. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I don't know what I need to do, but I need to move here. <laughs> so, and so because, and so for me, that, that was something that woke, that woke me up. But I've seen in other TCKs where um, they're constantly moving. And then I've seen the flip where they don't want to move anymore. They just want to find a place to stay rooted in. So I don't know that there's a one size it's all answer for that probably not but uh, but i can intimately relate i mean i've lived in a moderately small town for a large part of my tenure in germany as well and then it was very suffocating um towards the end which is why you know pre-covid the past uh you know the last um, six years um Uh, I wasn't really living there. I was just juggling multiple bases in different parts of the continent. Uh, but it was pretty clear eventually, needless to say, by the time the pandemic hit, that that was not a sustainable model anyways. But I know exactly what you're referring to, that feeling you probably feel in New York is exactly what I feel in London. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. London is another big... Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, it... It has been a childhood hometown of mine as well. There's that aspect. So there's all the memories. Uh, but yeah. but j apart from that as well, it's like, you know, I, I make these, uh, I remember <laughs> back when Facebook was uh, actually cool. I remember, you know, posting a status update, you know, 20 years in Germany. And it's still like, where are you really from? 20 minutes in London. And the question I get is, where are you traveling, love? <laughs> yeah. Uh Yeah, 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 I can see that. <laughs> um, and I get a similar feeling in Berlin, which is uh, my primary base in Germany now. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it, it has quite a good deal of backing, um, sorry, catching up to do. Uh, but then again, it's Central Europe. I doubt if it'll be, um, um, you know, the mindset always will be slightly different, I think. But, you know, time will tell. I would tell. Which uh, kind of is probably not the worst point to taper off gently into the next topic I want to um, uh, pick your brain on, uh, which is, you know, the manner in which you built a life for you for yourself in New York. Uh, you're, um, you're a badass entrepreneur, but you also have an academic background. And correct me if I'm wrong, you're also a teacher, you're a professor now? Professor, yes. yes. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> mad respect, brother. That, that is awesome. And uh, having gone back to college myself now, I just started doing a master's degree again, which might go into uh, like a PhD kind of thing. Um, I'm confronted again with um, the points where, you know, academic and entrepreneurial approaches might 
conflict with each other every now and then. True. Is this an experience you've made as well? And how, what was your way to work around it? Well, so my prim primary goal to, you know, to working in academic institutions right now is to completely dismantle it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I, I'm a disruptor, right? So I like to dismantle systems of oppression and suppression. And I don't believe that a lot of the academics, and this is someone that has an MBA, I don't believe that a lot of academic institutions really teach or create enough learning opportunities for people to cope in today's world, like let's say mental health or financial literacy or, you know, empathy, emotional intelligence, all these things that will allow you to actually, you know, learn the hard skills. And so for me, yeah. Yeah. And so that's always, yeah. that is always something I've been in contact with when I was getting my MBA and I was launching my business, people thought I was outside of my mind. And so, yeah. I so, so hear you. these could have been my words yeah. right now, man. I'm in the thick yeah. of it right now. Ironically, I'm also the master's uh, student representative. So I'm also, uh, you know, I'm also a consultant for, uh, for, for the right. system at this point nice. uh, as a student. Nice. Yeah. But I noticed yeah. though, and you know, I'd, I'd be super interested in your point of view though. It's like, uh, I'm, I mean, and folks, I'm working with the teachers and my professor is super cool, super open because, you know, he comes from a, a very, um, you know, very uh, unconventional background. So, you know, he's a musician, the kind who, who's worked with the likes of Radiohead, but he also has a PhD in uh, theoretical physics. So... Um, it's a very hybrid approach you bring, so and it, which is why it's very apparent from the very beginning that he, he has a broader mind, generally speaking. With the rest of the folks, I know their heart is in the right place. I know they want to be open-minded, but the systematic infrastructures they're dealing with, I just, it, it's like they're made for a different side guys altogether and just haven't had that update yet. Have you had a similar experience? Yes, in some institutions and some... I've, I've seen differences, right? So the, the thing that I've noticed with the, the next generation is the interests are very varied. You know, a lot of people can build careers off of social media. And so right. if teachers don't, right. yeah, if teachers don't adapt, you know, they're not, you know, he, a lot exactly. of I could, I could, <laughs> yeah, I could definitely like, wait, we well, got to figure out how to make sure what we're not losing money. And so mm. the, one of the reasons I decided to be an adjunct professor in one of the schools I, I, I'm an adjunct at is because I got invited there to speak on my book, and then I saw students that look like me. And so, I to me, I thought I need to see if I can teach here, so others, other students can see that this is a possibility for them, mm -hmm. right? It's all black and brown kids, and so I, you know, I, I pursued them for a little bit. <laughs> it was so funny. I was like, yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm just, you know, whenever you have a space, let me know. And so, and you know, I remember that after the first semester and the second semester ended. I got emails from students saying, I didn't know that it was possible to be this age and to, to do this here because I thought that I had to go in that job. And I always tell my students that if you find yourself finding your life passion in the middle of your degree, don't feel like you have to do anything other than your life passion. And so that's what I, I, I hope to represent. I have met a lot of great professors, though, who think like you mm -hmm. and and are really into reinventing teaching methods. But I, I've also met professors who are stuck in the theoretical elements. I went to school and had professors with the, who, who, you know, maybe didn't have the experience of, in what they were teaching that, but felt so smug. <laughs> mm. 
in their positions. And I thought that that was always harmful because people can always see right through that. Do you, how bitter a pill do you think it is for academic bodies to swallow the fact that they're kind of competing with social media at this point? How bitter a pill do you think that is for them to swallow? Oh, I think a lot of people don't like it. I think because it, to, to and, and they might have a point in some instances where if it's just, it feels shortcutty, right? You don't right. get to understand the, the, the foundation, right, of, of what, what, what it is. And to that point, yes, of course. I, I mean, I completely agree with that. You should have a, a strong base of that. But I, don't, I think when you don't adapt, though, it, it becomes really dangerous because the, they've grown up <laughs> even more than we did with exactly. way. This is, the, this is all they know, right? Yeah. And so if you can't teach your thing in, in three minutes, uh, you know, three minutes sound bites or all these things and then keep them engaged enough to come back for more, that means you're not learning how to communicate with them. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's where I ultimately stand on that end where you have to understand your audience and where they are in order to teach them. And you're a fantastic example of social media can be a meaningful medium to Thank reach you. your audiences with. And uh, um, I mean, for my audiences, um, for my listeners, all the all Tyler, all of Tyler's links will be included in the episode notes. So make sure you go check out what I mean with that. Um, it's it's almost like uh, you know, it's like constant bite-sized education. Subscribing to your feed. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. A little bit of dance lessons thrown into. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but honestly, that is uh, I I felt like I got freer. So I'll tell you, with my life, I was always taught that you need to focus, you know, focus. And I believe in specialists and generalists. I don't believe one is more. I'm but I'm more of a polymath, right? Or like a I like mastering several fields. But mm-hmm. I was always forced to choose one. And so when I found the podcast and ability to use social media for me, it was a gift because. I, I was able to, you know, be the be a professor, be a speaker, be a consultant, be a researcher, a writer, all these things that I always thought that I could be, but I was told that I couldn't because I had to choose one. Right. And so, and so for me, it's great. And I, anyone that is, uh, especially as I, I have, I think is great too. I think there's a beautiful element of having a depth of knowledge into something that is so amazing. Mm-hmm. And I, I also think there's a beauty in having a breadth of knowledge, right? The breadth and depth is good depending on, on all that. And but I feel like. Um, we need to adapt to whatever style uh, th- there is for people out there. Bingo. I'm also wondering exactly how aware exactly academic bodies are of the fact that we're living in an age where, you know, you could literally do a masterclass with Herbie Hancock online. You know, some of the, oh, yeah. some of the biggest artists and practitioners of their field, you know, researchers or artists or whatever, they, you know, you don't have to wait for them to come do a guest lecture once in a three-year degree. You could just go study with them directly online. That's what institutes are competing with. And I'm wondering exactly if they, you know, actually realizing the implication of that same. At some point in, in, <laughs> in over the next few years, you know, the very validity of a degree is going to be put under scrutiny in a manner that's never happened before in the history of time. I think you're right. I think uh, I subscribe to Masterclass. Exactly. I'm often surprised by the amount of knowledge is in there. Yeah, right. 
I like, wait, what? I can learn all this stuff? Exactly. <laughs> and quality stuff, quality stuff, yeah. you know. Yeah. And sure, it won't give you uh, a university degree, but like one of my professors actually said, at this point, it's almost like the only reason a university degree is valid is because someone's grandfather knows its oh, name. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> you know, literally, and because, uh, yeah, probably a bit of an oversimplification, but, you know, can't help but, help but wonder if there is some truth to it so i'm really curious you know um yeah i don't know myself but we'll see and that being said it is it is you gotta admit that it is sexy to be able to call yourself a professor right oh my gosh yeah um you know i didn't know <laughs> yeah. that it was, but you know what's so interesting i i find i i do think there's a there's an element of, uh, of pride in it yes i've, I've yeah. noticed it feels good saying yeah, i'm a professor imagine. Yeah, I will, I, I'm. I'll come clean. I'd love to. I'd love to be uh, able to call myself that. I don't know if I'm gonna make it to one, but uh, yeah, I can imagine that. That that is definitely uh, you know valuable. I, I guess you know to to be fair, um, in a in a world where anyone can be a, a quote unquote creator on social media, and that kind of uh, that kind of credibility is also not to be underestimated. No, it's not. And it's the way of the world, and un, uh, unfortunately and fortunately, right? So if you have enough credibility, so for example, I will say, you know, the fact that I have an MBA or, or being a professor can maybe allow me into different doors where I can then do a lot of what we talked about, right? So the, the reason I was saying I, I had an understanding of why being a professor was important to me is not only for the representation elements of it, but I, I hope to help redesign curriculums mm. in, the, in the future, Right, so that the curriculums can then adapt to the environment that we're talking about. But people wouldn't take me seriously if I wasn't a professor, right? They'd be like, okay, well, you don't know anything about the academic world. Why should we take you seriously? And so you got to, you know, you put in the sweat equity, right? And, you know, you have enough understanding of the landscape and you can show your proof of concept. Then you become more um, credible, if you will. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, before we taper off into the last topic, I, w- I want to pick your brain on. Uh, could you tell us a little more for for others like us who are juggling academic and entrepreneurial lifestyles? What what's the what's the one common goal both can help you attain? Well, both of them are ultimately the goal is to be uh, freedom of your you know freedom to be able to be yourself. Ironically, mm. um, interesting. I know. I think like the more I think the more knowledge you, you you have, you can sometimes create opportunities. And so with my entrepreneurship career, it's always been about creating platforms for others to share their stories and then you know really dismantling any system of oppression and expression. Mm-hmm. With the academic element of that, I want to I want people to be able to really reflect on history and correct those elements of histories that have been you know, whether whitewashed or or just flat out completely wrong. You know, a lot of our history has been, you know, whitewashed or erased due to colonization and all those things. And so for me, on the academic aspect of that, when you are able to trace at least an element of where you come from, there's a power that comes from that identity. And so for me, that's the academic aspect. If I can go into an environment and speak to the history of you know, Asia, Africa, blackness and all these things and really give people resources to find a, a sense of self in that, that to me is as important as what I'm doing entrepreneurially. Because 
a lot of other cultures have those you know points of references where you know people would say they can go oh, yeah, i know mozart i know all this but mm-hmm. we don't we don't talk enough about indian or african artists or nigerian artists or ghanaian artists who were around before 1800 or 1900 because right. it's not a curriculum yeah. and it's just accepted that that's how it is <laughs> yeah. yeah that that is thankfully being talked about a lot yeah. Um, at this point, and I'm very grateful for that. And because uh, I've borne the yeah. brunt of it, I've borne the brunt of being forced to either to systems. And you do a good job of that. You do a good job of that. Cheers. I really and- appreciate. I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. That means a lot coming from you. And uh, it's 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 nice to have, uh, you know to have been able to live in an era where I've borne the brunt of it and seen the change and keep keep seeing the change and you know have a chance to contribute to that. Yeah. This is a good time to talk about uh, my last topic. I want to pick your brain on, which is uh, Black Lives Matter 2022. Where do we stand? So I, when I think of Black Lives Matter, I always think about the movement. I know that the, the organization is a little different, but the movement itself. Yes, please. Is yeah. It, I, definitely still a lot of work to be done in terms of recognizing how uh, blackness is 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 often demonized. I, I've definitely seen progress, though, in terms of how more and more people are willing to have the conversations mm-hmm. amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. We I, I saw recently there's something called the Crown Act in the United United States. It's it, it, it's a little sad that it's taken this long for us to think about that, but Crown Act is basically you know, this idea of people not policing black hair. And mm-hmm. it's now passing through, you know, the, the different elements of government here. But Crown stands for, stands for create a respectful and open world for natural hair. Mm-hmm. And, and so conversations like that, conversations about art, uh, a lot of companies are, are being now made to reflect on opportunities they're creating when they're recruiting people. Right. So what we're seeing more of that. But my hope is that it moves beyond a trend. Right. And it, now it's 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 not as <laughs> it's sexy to do that. Right. If you don't do it, you're 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 part of the problem. But I want people to be able to do it because they know it's right. And it's something that should be done consistently. Indeed. I have hope that it will continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're still in that sort of honeymoon phase, I, I believe, and we're where a lot of companies are, are doing what they feel like they need to do. But um, uh, unfortunately, I have come across a few companies who, as we're moving back into the, you know, uh, hopefully on the back end of COVID, they, they've just decided not to stand as firm with their <laughs> uh, proclamations of creating more opportunities for, for uh, you know, for black lives. And, mm. um, and then, uh, then the last part of that is obviously the, the policing aspect and what that, that is. And so, Depending on what state you are, uh, and and depending on which country you are, there are reforms in the process of being passed, and then there were there, there uh, there's a re- huge amount of resistance to the reforms. Indeed. And so, um, the, the ultimate goal, though, is not that police isn't needed. It's more that you know, black people aren't being killed for things that they shouldn't be killed for. More power to that. Yeah. Um, I want to address an extremely nuanced aspect to the movement, which I know very few people are qualified to really comment on the manner in which you are. 
Um, what's interesting is, and I remember um, in our last podcast, we specifically addressed racial bias. Most of the podcast was uh, centered around it. Um, I was talking about, you know, being an ally is not about being colored. You know, you can be as good an ally without necessarily, well, at least, um, you know, uh, in your own way, in your own authentic way. Uh, and also the fact that, you know, not all colored people are necessarily an ally. You know, you don't have to be white to be racist either. Um, the point I'm getting to is, it's interesting. May I just quote a random example, which, um, which I haven't sure. read my head around. So uh, a couple of weeks back, I found out uh, this specific venue in um, Germany. By the way, Germany owes uh, the Black Lives Matter movement big time, especially in 2020. It was the first time the POC of Germany finally actually had the chance to really be open about uh, their experiences. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, the government actually did take action. It was the first, it's basically 2020 marks the first time that Germany owned its racism after the World War II. You know, Wild. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so reverting there. So this venue apparently gave the singer of a band an ultimatum uh, um, the singer was white and he had dreadlocks to cut his dreadlocks off or they wouldn't, they'd, they'd cancel their concert. That, how, and I found that confusing because one, uh, contrary to, and I did the research on this after a few of my friends told me, to, apparently uh, Scandinavians have had dreadlocks as well throughout history. Um, so for the longest time, I thought, you know, having dreadlocks in itself is probably, you know, not okay if you're not white, uh, if you're not uh, colored, sorry, um, or have a link to that culture. But it turns out, you know, a lot of Scandinavian cultures have had dreadlocks as well. And I'm not uh, quite privy to how that eventually panned out. But what what's the solution there? What's going on there? <laughs> it's a, you know, black hair is always a touchy subject. I, yeah. I, I, gosh, I'm trying to think of how to, because I don't have enough information. So you're saying that the, the white singer was, he was asked to cut his hair or lose an opportunity. Yeah. Basically, he wouldn't be yeah. allowed to perform at the venue if he didn't cut his dreads off. In, in, growing up, I like you, I was always thought that, you know, when you have your hair uh, twisted in locks or when your hair naturally goes that way, it it's one of the, you know, most empowering things. And then people taking that away from you is, you know, is problematic. Mm -hmm. Now, what I, I, the only thing I would say is the only time I've ever seen it as a problem because it is when people do it without understanding the history of it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know that I've ever necessarily seen any problem with with people, you know, co-opting different hair, hairstyles uh, with, with, you know, flippantly without acknowledging it and then, you know, uh, and them, you know, not, not facing any backlash from that. So in this instance, I don't know if, if he pays homage to the history, mm -hmm. if he has a Scandinavian root, mm -hmm. if he... He, if, if there's a reason he's doing it, I have no idea if, if there's a reason. And if there's a reason he does it and he it really is to the Vikings and he's paying homage to that, then I don't know that, that we can tell him what his story is. The only time I've ever had a problem with anything is if someone takes something from a black culture 
without paying homage to it and then, you know, takes it as their own. Uh, but outside of that, I, I, I've often been more lax on, on, on those type of issues just because I think we can get into a very, very uh, uh, tricky nature where we're saying we can't borrow as, as many things as we can from different cultures right. uh, and we can't appreciate certain things. Yeah. Now, so that's why for, for me, it's hard for me to answer that question because I really don't know him and, and what his, his story is. Mm -hmm. But I will say the, the problem often lies in the appreciation and uh, co-opting spectrum, right? Some people just do things without knowing the history of it. And some people will accept things from certain cultures that they don't, they don't accept from, you know, black cultures. And then it becomes problematic. You know, it's the same sort of thing as when, you know, black people have worn braids for a long time and then all of a sudden... A white person wears a braid, braid, and then it's she's the front uh, face of the magazine, and I say, "This is a new style that is now yeah, working." Yeah. So those, that's usually where I have a problem with things like that. But outside of that, I'm usually uh, more like, so "You're going to find people that disagree with me, though." TL, I'm, I'm many people listening with this. We like, I don't agree with what Ty was saying. I feel like it should never be done. Uh, and for mm -hmm. me, I, I often look on the um, the appreciation and, and the co-opting spectrum of it and seeing. Okay, this person understands the history and is paying homage, and it's not just doing it for a trend. Yeah, I understand. Well, I'll be completely honest with you, Ty. I, I, I would tend to be biased against a white person with dreads. Uh, generally, I have been. I'll, I'll own it until I found out the history of uh, Scandinavian cultures uh, and dreads um, uh, too. See, see, that was my ignorance, and it was it was time to for me to. We, we all we, we yeah. all have those things. Exactly, exactly. That was my. Ignorance. I was like, whoa! I didn't know about this at all. I thought dreads were only a thing you know Indian sadhus did and people in Africa did. People of African origin, you know, from, again, uh, we're over simplification here. Uh, yes. Me, you know, I, I had a, I had to eat a bit of a humble pie when I read about that. So, and it threw me off because uh, I realized, well, I've been biased against a certain demographic in my very own way. And uh, that there is probably a little more to investigate here than I More realized. to investigate, exactly. Yeah. So I, that's what I don't, I'm, I'm doing a Google search now and it, you know, there, there are stories and there are competing stories about historical records. Vikings mm -hmm. kept, they, they did braids and, 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 you know, um, locks. So mm -hmm. I will have a better answer for you <laughs> after, I've, after I've done my research. However, the thing that I always stand on is whenever you find yourself profiting off another culture yeah. that, that, you, that has been historically marginalized, mm -hmm. I always have a problem with that if you don't give the right credit to it because uh we, like as we've discussed in the history books many people would just accept it as the person that co-opted the culture as opposed to paying homage to like hey wait this actually comes from nigeria and let's mm. actually create more opportunities for more nigerians to create to send us uh, uh you know create a trade route for this as opposed to this but in the past we'll colonize it and then we'll take it and we'll make it ours and exactly. then we'll never exactly and so that's where that's why it's always tricky and touchy for me and you know i'm sure some people are like oh, chill but i'm like no nah, i mean look at history <laughs> indeed indeed I, I totally get that yeah i had a very different kind of experience where um an extremely well-respected uh, musician was publishing a book 
um, based on some Indian literature, even though the gentleman, as credible and fantastic a musician this person is, had never been to India. And he ended up putting, um, you know, the, or the graphic designer or the publishing company uh, put, put, a, put the picture of an Indian uh, deity on the cover, which was completely out of context. It had nothing to do with any other content. And wow. uh, and I wrote to him directly saying, I'm very sorry, but this is cultural appropriation. This is like me writing a book on Bach and putting a picture of Jesus on it for no reason or something. Oh like my that, God, know. that's such a good example. Right, right. And his his knee-jerk reaction, though, was not was more like, it was, yeah, I'm trying to pay tribute to the culture. And uh, and I'm saying all of this with due respect because this is a gentleman I have a great deal of respect for. But it, you know, it, it was triggering for me. Dude, I just told you I am, you know, this is my ancestry. I just told you it's cultural appropriation. Why is it that you feel uh, confident enough to just have refuted me in the manner you did? You know, and it was triggering. And uh, to the gentleman's credit, on the record, he that cover was changed. So I'm really glad I brought it up. It, it cost me a week's night of sleep because uh, it was one of those very uh, intense conflicts where, you know, you know, this is someone I really respect a lot as an artist and musician, but also, you know, you know, uh, successful people are not perfect. No, none of us are. I, yeah. I, I hope we get to a place. I, I've never been a fan of cancel culture. Um, exactly, I, I, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I, there are people that definitely need to be punished for horrible, horrible things. Yeah. But I think, honestly, all of us are hypocrites. <laughs> Absolutely. And, yeah, and we need to create more space for for dialogue and opportunity to talk. And um, and uh, yeah, I'm glad that that turned out that way for you. Thank you, thank you. I just wish it wouldn't have cost me this week sleep. These things usually Ooh, that's a long time. Yeah, I know, right? I know, right? Yeah, it was it was uh, it was intense. But then that's something you're intimately familiar with, and I'm pretty sure uh, you know the, those conflicts uh, have been uh, challenging in your journey as well. So mad respect. Yeah. And I think the only way I know how to handle it is be honest with you. You know, I, you know, like, you know, I made a mistake or I used to think this and now I think this and, you know, hopefully I move on. And if people choose not to accept it, that's also fine. You know, everybody's at a different stage in their journey, but uh, I think we all need to practice that level of vulnerability and then and a level of acceptance for people's growth. Beautiful. That is a fantastic thought to end. Uh, well, not end, but to uh, this conversation is never really going to end. I'm, I'm sure we'll <laughs> be talking uh, soon again. But uh, for now, um, uh, thank you, Tayo. It's an, uh, always an absolute pleasure and an absolute honor to engage with you. Likewise. Before I let you go, um, I want to ask you again. We, we've asked you once already, but uh, it's been a while. It's been two years since the last time we asked you. So let's ask you again. If you were in front of a sacred fire right now, what would you want to throw into it? A sacred fire. What would I want to throw into what it? What would you want to burn away? Burn away. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, well, huh. I would want to burn away. Um, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I, would, I would want to burn away the part of myself that doesn't accept the greatness of who I am. Beautiful. You nailed it, man. You killed it again. You killed it oh last time too. <laughs> Yo, you put me on the spot. I love it. I, I love it. I love it. I put you on the spot, but you killed it, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You killed it last time as well. So yeah. And I'm not surprised. Uh, thank you. That deeply resonates as does most of, uh, pretty much all of what you uh, said. 
No, no, this is good. I, it's a pleasure talking to you. I, I'm so happy and, and you know incredibly proud of everything you've been doing. So, oh, cheers, brother. That's that means a lot coming from you. Anytime, anytime. Yeah. So. I can only throw throw that back. Uh, you're uh, you're you're an absolute brother, and uh, you're an inspiration, and I'm a fan. And uh, you've had a very very major role to play in my life in the manner in which I've uh, gained clarity on some of the most important. Uh, themes in my life and uh, i really mean that i mean you know you. it's uh, it's funny it it you know, it's funny it's taken me long, like a decade to even realize you know you run into people uh, and you know some, and you never realize the kind of impact they're going to have on your life sometimes and uh, uh especially uh, 10 years later we still haven't met 3d which is ridiculous I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're, like, you're like an old friend where I feel safe enough to talk about themes which are, you know, yeah. as vulnerable as it gets. And yet here we are. Yeah. We still haven't managed to ma meet in 3D. So um hope we can yeah. get to change that sometime soon. Man. Yeah. Uh, on that note, gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love, and talk soon. Just another voice out.